the way I see it, every child is all of our responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, if you see a, a child getting hurt, do something about it. Or yeah. you're, you're not a man, you're not a woman, you're not a real person if you, if you don't you just turn a blind eye to it. So I have to do everything I can. Yeah. Or, you know, what does my existence mean if I don't? Welcome to the podcast, Share Your Story, Exploring Humanity One Heart at a Time. I am your host, Jenny Diltz, and I help people convert their grief into growth in their own way and in their own time. This is a podcast where we dive deeply into the stories that make us who we are and show us who we can become. Together, we share real-life experiences of growth through our grief. I can be found at grievingcoach.com. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you don't miss exclusive interviews and some of my own tidbits and insights on grief. This episode is dedicated to all the little ones who have been taken to us, taken from us. The death of a child can be one of the most traumatic experiences one can face. And when a child dies, we not only grieve that person, we grieve their future and our identity that is the role that we have in our relationship with them. This episode is dedicated to all of our angels who have preceded us in our transitions into our next phase of life. Joining us this time is Sam Newman, whose little one died as an infant. And Sam has faced much trauma and injustice in his life, most especially in the death of his infant son, Tietaha. He spends much of his time and resources volunteering to encourage change and promote healing in many areas of society that are sick and or broken. Some of the areas that Sam works with include environmental causes and others are focused on ending human suffering. Sam also uses graphic art to give Tietaha many experiences that he was unable to have in this life, such as walking in the woods and chasing butterflies. Sam is a volunteer with St. John Ambulance, Search and Rescue, Cancer Society, Heart Kids, One Wanao at a time. Did I say that right? Wanao. Wanao. <laughs> okay. Um, New Zealand Red Cross Community Gardens, and he oversees the Board for Brain Injury Association, Northland. He has been volunteering for many years, as well as in paid employment, and he enjoys helping out in their community. He gets to meet great people and build relationships that last a lifetime. There is no greater reward than what you get from helping others and seeing them succeed. He continues to strive for unity among our people to help create a fair and equally worldly opportunity for everyone to achieve their greatest potential equally with the respect and equity that we all deserve. And last year, his nine-month-old baby boy was killed by hospital staff and his family was taken by the child welfare system. Sam, can you share your baby's name? Sure. So he had, he had a lot to live up to. So he had a long name. And each part of his name has a meaning. So Titaha, it's a Morako move. 
um, taiaha is one of the Māori traditional weapons. Uh, it's like a big stick. And so it's it's a Morako move. Titaha is this one in front. Um, titaha is also a type of axe, which um, normally they've been placed this way. But this axe was like more like an, a, a traditional axe. So again, it, it's it's the same meaning. Mm -hmm. um, titaha is the name of the hill where I built our house. So his full name is Titaha Raitia Maunga Tanifa Matapia Tangatanui Alistair Newman. Um, titaha, and then Raitia is the name of the forest where our hill is, and it's also the highest peak in the area. Maunga Tanifa is the name of the ranges. Uh, Matapia is the name of the small island that's at the top of 90 Mile Beach. Tangatamui is a strong, important man. Um, Alistair was my father's name, <laughs> and Newman is our last name. Mm, that's amazing. Hmm. I can see why you say he has a lot to live up for. Hmm. That's incredible. In uh, Māori tradition, you know, we carry our ancestors with us everywhere we go. Uh huh. So um, it's important to acknowledge them. I love that tradition of carrying your ancestors with you and it, giving that legacy to the future generations. So they have that to carry forward. That's right. It's like time doesn't exist. You know, mm -hmm. your ancestors were and so they still are. Same with, same with my baby boy. Yeah. Um, when he died, I called my ancestors in and I had to hand <laughs> him over. How was that process for you? It was, it was actually really amazing. A very powerful, very powerful thing. You know, traditionally, uh, the women washed the body. Mm -hmm. So I gave them, uh, when I called their ancestors in, two whakanoa, called them in. And um, I was amazed how many people could fit in that little room, <laughs> whether they were there or not, you know, mm -hmm. in this realm. And then I let, I handed over my baby's body to the woman to wash. At the same time, it was like handing his soul to the ancestors. I heard a voice, can we take him now? And I, of course, you know, I have, they can't wait forever. And then I went outside for a smoke and gave the, the ladies a chance to do what they needed to do and came back in. And I told the nurses that I promised my baby that I would take him outside to see his birds. He had a connection with birds. They said, there's not going to be any birds now. It's dark. I said, they will when I take him out there. Sure enough, I took him out. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, when I walked underneath this tree that had no leaves on it, all these tui um, birds came and just sang awesome songs above us as I walked them underneath. And I took him to his puriri tree, uh, uh, the totara tree, sorry, uh, where I um, played a tune on my harmonica and sent him up north to his ancestors 
back to his homeland, you know? Uh-huh. So it was a very spiritual experience, and um, I'm glad I, I had that with him. That's incredible. Mm. What have you learned from Titaha since he went um, to his ancestors? Well, um, I mean, I'm, it was quite amazing. He's taught a lot of people a lot of things in his short little life. Every day he would get a prickle in his foot to take the blood sample. He had um, multiple open heart surgeries. He had chest strains put in, pulled out, put in, put out. He had all sorts of invasive procedures. Mm-hmm. But he was still the smiliest, happiest little man I've ever met. And if that isn't a lesson for us all, I don't know what is. Yeah. You know, he's taught us all that life is short and, um, you know, make the most of it, eh? Yeah. Uh, of course, you know, living most of his life in the hospital, uh, you don't have a normal life. It's an alien world. Things are made of metal and plastic and not natural. Mm-hmm. Um, apart from I made all his creams out of the nature and stuff like that. You know, I had a piece of wood that I used to stroke him with and he would put in his mouth and he would have sort of, you know, he could touch it and the best you could. Yeah. But but it's still, um, you know, we we just made little moments very important. Yeah. Singing songs and things like that. You can't take that away. Mm-hmm. It's so beautiful. Mm. Not everything was beautiful with, with your experience with him, though. Um, do you mind sharing with us some of the uglier parts? Sure. So um, as an ambulance officer, I've got a pretty good understanding on how normal heart works. We're more trained in the other end of the scale, like angina, or COPD, you know, chronic um lung problems and, and heart problems, uh, old people, you know, usually. Mm-hmm. And we do have some paediatric training, but not so much for congenital problems that children are born with. When Chitaha was diagnosed at 22 weeks gestation, we were given the option of termination of pregnancy or palliative care to keep him comfortable. It seems that Māori and Pacific babies often given palliative care rather than surgical solutions. I looked into, I researched his condition really, really, like every night my poor partner stayed, at, was kept awake while I'm listening to videos and learning all this stuff. And I came up with my own surgical solution for him that could well have worked. The other thing is um, the imagery was not really good enough. So they were trying to tell me he's got no outlet from his left ventricle. I can't find anywhere, anyone in history that has no outlet from the left ventricle. Does that mean he has complete mitral gap valve regurgitation? No, it must go somewhere. So I was asking for better imagery rather than just relying on the single probe ultrasound. I researched into it and I saw that any laptop with a decent graphics card can plug straight into the MRI machine the hospital already has. You can download the stabilizing 
imagery stabilizing software free of charge from the University of London or the University of Philadelphia. And you can print out a 3D image of his heart and you can see the exact anatomy, how big everything is, and work out a, a cardiology plan. Mm -hmm. But I was told, oh no, we're going to wait and see how cyanose he is when he's born. So we didn't know we we're going to have a blue baby, a dead baby or what. Um, and that was pretty frightening. Mm -hmm. um, he was born alive and the right colour. He was doing all right. Um, but when they put the NGT, the nasal gastric tube in the first time, he stopped breathing for a moment. I'd already had a look where all the gear was and I had the oxygen turned on 10 litres a minute and I had the face mask over there. And um, 20 nurses all rushed in and sorted it out, sweet as. So that was our first little scare. Um, then, you know, he was he was doing okay. And he, he was able to come home with us for, you know, a month and a half. Um, so I took, took him to the zoo with, with other kids. And, you know, we had a little bit of normality there. Mm -hmm. It wasn't home home. It was still in the city where we're not from. But it was somewhere, you know. A little bit of normality, driving the car together, pushing around the push chair it was great. Uh -huh. um, then at three months old, oh, we had to take him in for um, for some checks, and the somebody knocked the dustpan off the cleaner's tray, uh, <laughs> gave him a fright, and he went blue, and um, that was the first sign of something being seriously wrong. And so he stayed in the hospital after that. At three months old, he still doesn't have any cardiology plan. And I've been asking and asking for help. And basically, he's dying in my arms. He had flexion, which is uh, um, like this. It's a, it's a sign of shock. Shock is a global lack of perfusion to peripheral cells and organs. So it's he's not getting oxygenated blood to the vital parts of his body that he needs and he's going to die. And I had to say very loudly, he's not going to make Wednesday's cardiology meeting. Can we get some help? Um, his surgeon and his, well, there's only one surgeon for the whole country and his cardiologist were both away. So we had another old guy come in that had been there for a long time. And he said, you're right. And it's the big one. He needs open heart surgery. So I'm very grateful to get some help. Um, he would have definitely have died in the next 48 hours. He hadn't had that. Um, surgery went well. Recovery went well. Although they ruptured something in the thoracic, maybe the thoracic duct or something in the lymphatic system which caused chylothorax leak. It's a pleural effusion, which is um, a leak into the pleural cavity around the lungs. Mm -hmm. So he had to have a, a, some chest drains to drain that fluid. And it was like that for a good month, a little bit more, until it, it healed and came right. In that time, he's not allowed certain types of fat and some of those are found in breast milk, so he wasn't able to uh, breastfeed. So we had uh, mum on 
domperidone medications and special diets. Um, yeah, um, electrician consultant and cups of tea with the special stuff in it, you know, some rumor medicine to keep her flowing and, and then help try and get him to attach afterwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem there was we had the child welfare system come in right at the, the most vulnerable time, which is what they do, and wrongly accused me of family violence because one of the girls had a bruise on her leg. I thought, well, let's sort this out quickly so we can get on with our lives. I took them all into the paediatricians where they made them made all four girls strip down to their undies in front of a room full of adults they don't know while they're getting tickled and played with to look for signs of abuse. They didn't find any, of course, and um, the paediatrician held her hand up like this and said, the shape of the bruise doesn't fit with a smash. It's not from a smash. Mm -hmm. So that should have been the end of it. No, um, let's try and uh, make up some lies and and, and create a problem that, where there isn't any. So it's just been a nightmare ever since uh, from, from then. Mm-hmm. But it meant that they decided that our baby wasn't allowed access to breastfeeding. Instead, let's put Sam in charge of the three-month-old baby. Well, I've got a flat chest, so he's highly disappointed. <laughs> yeah. So that didn't help him grow his anatomy as good as it could have. Mm-hmm. He had a dietitian and a, a speech language therapist decide that they wanted to put him on a watered down 16% um, formula uh, milk. You know, they were worried that he was going to get too fat uh, lying in his hospital bed. Well, a fat little baby's a healthy little baby if ever I've seen one. Mm-hmm. So after a couple of weeks of this, he was starting to go downhill. I said, oh, no, nah, no more. I'm going to buy his own formula. Mm-hmm. Um, and I took charge and, and, and had to do it that way. And then he was doing really well. He had his central shunt now. He had a pulmonary artery banding, so reducing the, the flow of blood to the lungs. My idea was to use the little bit of left ventricle that he had and put a sanoshunt to the aorta. So instead of reducing the flow to the lungs, you're increasing the flow to the body, mm-hmm. which makes sense. But that idea wasn't listened to. I also asked for a second opinion, which everyone's entitled to, uh, from Boston Children's Hospital. That was sent to back to us, to the hospital, but nobody ever gave it to us. We're still waiting. And over there, they do stage recruitment or repair of the left ventricle. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, could have been an option. We've been asking since before he was born. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he's doing really well. Um, stuck in hospital because the policy had changed and someone with a central shunt or Blalick tacit shunt isn't considered systemic, viable systemic circulation. Obviously, you know, that's not going to make him live forever, but it was a good interim management plan. Mm -hmm. But still, they had no long-term plan. 
they were thinking along the lines of the Fontan procedure, which is a three-stage procedure um, where they cut the superior vena cava, which is the, the one that returns the blood from the top half of your body to your heart. They cut that off and join it to go straight to your lungs, passively flow to the lungs. So you didn't need to pump from the um, heart to the lungs. And then do the same with the inferior vena cava from the bottom half of the body later on. And this is, this is all Fontan procedure. So our baby had hyperplastic left heart, which is the, the left ventricle wasn't fully developed. Mm -hmm. Double outlet look right ventricle. So both the great arteries that go to the lungs and the body were on the right-hand side and transposition of the great arteries. So they were switched around the other way, which didn't make any difference seeing as they're both coming off the right side. But what it meant is that that right ventricle, which is designed to only pump blood to the lungs, now has to pump both to the lungs and the body. It's mm -hmm. single ventricle palliation, they call it. So, you know, I've done, done all my research. I had some great ideas. wasn't being listened to. Yeah. Um, even in their, their procedures and guidelines, it says nobody knows the child's normal behaviour better than the parents. Mm -hmm. But they still weren't listening, you know. There was yeah. such a lack of communication. Um, we had a, a room upstairs. Oh, call us if anything happens, any changes, any, um, you want to give a new medicine. If he doesn't settle, call us, we'll come down and settle him. Mm -hmm. No, they don't call. They give him chloral to go to sleep. You know, not good enough. We're, why, why are we even there? We might as well have gone home. Mm -hmm. So this lack of communication has been a big problem. Um, also, lack of communication between the hospital departments. So, you know, people are unaware of, of parts of what's going on. That made things really difficult as well. I can imagine. And at the same time, we're fighting to save our kids. Um, yeah, and so in the end, child welfare system didn't have any reason to get court orders. There were no police charges, no crimes. We hadn't done anything wrong. So they just used bullying. And basically they said, if you don't sign this agreement, we're going to come with police, armed police with dogs to take your children. I mean, that's the last thing we want them to go through, isn't it? So what do you do? We've got no choice. So we had mm -hmm. to put them on a plane on day 11 of a level four lockdown to send to the South Island over a thousand kilometers away to an auntie they'd never met. You know, just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Um. You know, we had um, my partner's mum come and help look after the kids during that first surgery over Christmas. And she did a great job. Mm -hmm. Well, apparently she was no good because she has asthma. But she had asthma when she looked after them the first time too, and she did a great job. Mm -hmm. This is not about doing what's best for children. It's about getting funding. It's yeah. all about money. And the hospital work with the child welfare system 
to validate the social workers' judgments on people. And it's a lot of racism. Yeah. So we had our kids down there. Baby's st still doing well. Next few months, we're still asking for a meeting, you know, to, to have a cardiology plan. Mm -hmm. During this time, you know, there were some nurses calling me a child beater. You know, nasty stuff. They were taking it out on my baby. So they were trying to overfeed him and make him gurgle in his own vomit and throw a T-shirt over his face. Um, they threw all his blankets on the floor when he finally got to sleep. So he was stone cold like a rock in the river. They tried to overdose him 10 times his dose on medicine. This is a few days after they overdosed the other Māori child in the heart ward who ended up having seizures and sent into the resuscitation room um, from the overdose. And she was supposed to be discharged that next day. You know, and that was Titaha's little friend. He used to push him around in the push chair around the hospital. Yeah. I caught them out on, the, on these things and they didn't like it. Mm. So I had a nurse standing outside baby's room shouting, F you, F you. Um, at me I thought well um, I'd been asked to take some of his used syringes to the car that night I was saving them and making windmills for the kids out of them mm -hmm. this is because they'd been uh, through all our personal possessions I don't know what they were looking for but um, you know highly uh, illegal and immoral yeah. mm -hmm. um, so I thought well uh, you know, this lady's out there swearing at me. I don't know what's going to happen now. I'll take baby for a walk and I'll put these syringes in the car and I'll come back. Mm -hmm. um, they waited until I got to the car and then they sent every security guard and senior nurses out to surround me and try and snatch my baby as they're on the phone to police telling them I'm trying to run away with them. Uh, you know, just anything to set me up to fail. Of course, mm -hmm. I'm not failing. I didn't let them take my baby, but I didn't react either. I kept my cool the whole time. That's incredible. Um, the policeman obviously knew that it was all fine, but they banned me from being with my baby at the hospital at night time. So that was really, really hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They rushed his next surgery through because of COVID restrictions coming. They sent a whole heap of kids home who weren't ready to go home, and they rushed everyone else through surgery who wasn't ready for surgery, my baby included. He wasn't doing well after that. He was had another chylothorax leak. He was struggling with the anaesthetic. He was struggling with the surgery. And they talked about the takedown of the glen, which is that superior vena cava joined back, joined up to the pulmonary um, system, but they didn't. And it doesn't matter how much begging you do, they're not going to do the right thing for my baby. Then they um, pulled out a blocked chest drain and didn't replace it. When he's leaking over 100 mils of chylothorax fluid a day, wow. they 
pulled out this block chest drain and put a sticky plaster over the hole. My partner said, look, he's got bubbles coming out of his mouth. That means he's got fluid in his lungs. Yeah. I said, have you listened to his lungs today? Yes, I have. I said, well, he's got widespread crackles on his left side and his right lungs collapse. You need to get an x-ray down here. Oh, no, we're not going to radiate him. I said, well, get a sonographer. Someone needs to have a look. No. So for the next three days, they did nothing. By which time, the pleural lining, the, the thin skin that lines the outside of your lungs and the mm -hmm. one that lines the inside of your ribs stuck together so you can't get a chest drain in there. So he drowned in his own fluids. Yeah, so so that's yeah. what happened, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. And they're writing down that oh he died because of his cardiac condition. Well, no, <laughs> he died because they killed him. Mm. They did this on purpose. They didn't like that I was standing up and advocating for him. Yeah. Yeah. They're not used to a parent knowing so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always did it politely, you know. I said, you know, I'm an ambulance officer, and I said, I am not a cardiac specialist. I'm not a pediatric cardiologist. I'm not a pediatric intensive care unit nurse. Yeah. I'm not these things. But I do know what's going on with my baby. You know, he was my son and my patient. Mm-hmm. He missed out, uh, um, you know, the, those his big sister's missed out on half of his life. Um, I, I said to them, you better get my family back here while he's dying or I'll get every disgruntled person on Facebook protesting outside this hospital. Mm -hmm. They got my family back, gave them back. But what they did was they cut the children's funding off as another way to try and set us up to fail. So I had to borrow money off friends and use all my entitlements just to feed them mm -hmm. for the next couple of months after that. Um, I get to the marae where we're having our funeral service, and we call it a tangi, and I get a message on the phone saying that now that your baby's died, you need to start looking for work, you know. Yeah. Just, just nasty stuff. Yeah. And then they hold um, what they call a family meeting. Um, but anyone who tried to speak was told to shut up. And when I tried to get the mother of the children a voice, I was told to get in. So <laughs> the children weren't listened to at the beginning and mm -hmm. the mother's not listened to at the end. I don't know what's wrong with this picture. Basically, the outcome was predetermined. They sent them, half of them back to the auntie and the other half to a grandmother who had been really nasty. She has bipolar and not medicated for it. Um, she's the father of the biological, uh, the mother of the biological father to these children, um, the girls, um, who has a protection order for being violent to them. And she's allowing him regular unsupervised access. I would never stop a father seeing their kids, but mm -hmm. do it right. Yeah. Do it the right way. Yeah. So all these people who are supposed to be um, 
protecting children, vulnerable children and children at risk, taking them from their safe, happy, loving family mm-hmm. and placing them in danger. I mean, they were throwing rocks at windows and hitting each other and hitting the auntie and all of this stuff. Why do you think that is? Hey, it's because they're traumatized by this experience. Yeah. So I'm still fighting the system. And then they told my partner and her family that she will never see those kids again if she's with me. And they placed her in housing or beaten women. You know, I'm the first man in her life that doesn't hit her and, and hurt her kids. Mm-hmm. So this is this is not a single thing. This is this is quite common. And not just in New Zealand. Since then I've found hundreds and hundreds of traumatized parents who've had their kids wrongly removed from their care. And so I'm starting a support group for them called Families for Families. You know, I've saved some of them from suicide. One guy, he took petrol over himself at the steps of Parliament and set himself on fire and died from it because he's got nothing left. It's just so traumatised. Yeah. There's already an overwhelming crisis of a mental health system in New Zealand. And here they are creating more. Mm-hmm. Poor children, you know. Yeah. And it's generational. This has been going on for decades. If you were one of the people that got removed from your parents, you're automatically a target. Mm, yeah. Um, you know, 90% of the population, of Māori population in jail, are a result of the state. Something needs to change. Definitely. So how so, can we... Go ahead. Well, it's just um, a matter of, um, you know, it's such a big thing that it takes a lot. There's lots of different parts to it. Mm-hmm. And how can one person, you know, fix it all? Well... You can't really. So you can only focus on what you can do and one little step at a time will get you there. Yeah. I want to hold these people accountable for what they've done, mm-hmm. but I'm going to need help to do that. I'm not entitled to legal aid because there was no crimes. <laughs> I haven't done anything wrong. So, yeah, it's a, about creating awareness. This mm-hmm. is very real. This is happening in the country. There's a study at the moment one of the doctors that was in uh, the heart ward where baby was, uh, baby's favourite doctor, we used to to say she's his favourite doctor. Well, she's just taken a break from Starship Hospital as a a paediatric doctor in the heart ward. Her name is Dr. Simone Watkins. And she is doing some research at the Auckland University with a professor and some other people into why there is such a difference in outcomes for Māori and Pacific babies compared to Pākehā babies mm-hmm. or other babies. So such a great thing that someone is looking into it. You know, someone has the decency and the heart to really do the proper research 
so they can come up with the figures and the evidence and and work on a solution. That's awesome. Hmm. What about your efforts? What are you doing to promote change and accountability and healing? So I'm doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I just I just took a break from. Well, I thought I was taking a break from uh, trying to save the children. You know, mm -hmm. we had a we had a we had a rally um, recently for Save Our Children um, on the 26th of June in Auckland. Mm -hmm. We um, we a lot of us there were survivors and there were other people, and I stood up and said my story. Uh, then we marched to TVNZ to ask them to tell the truth and to, you know, expose the truth. Because TVNZ uh, paid and manipulated by the government. Mm. So the children's stories are not being heard. We left babies' shoes and little kids' shoes on their steps to represent all the children's voices that never got heard. Yeah. And, and then I thought, I'll take a break from all that. And I'll go and help these people on Waiheke Island in Pūtiki Bay, Kennedy Point, who are trying to stop a marina being built there in their um, culturally significant area. Mm -hmm. 186 birth marina, 368 pylons going into the ocean. It takes up the whole bay. It's 7.3 hectares, about eight football fields. Um, this is right where the largest colony of Korora, the little blue penguin, smallest penguin in the world, uh, the largest colony in the Hauraki Gulf, live right there. And they're building next to them, um, which doesn't follow their resource consent that Auckland Council gave them. So I thought that's what it was all about. And I went to help the kaitiaki and the, and the protectors there. Also, I saw that the construction workers and their security company were assaulting these young women and the police and weren't doing anything about it. You know, they're getting whacked with um, boat poles and paddles and they're getting their heads held under the water for, for long periods of time, kicked in the head, punched in the face, rammed with a boat, you know, they've got broken bones from this, crushed thorax, uh, broken leg, broken fingers needed surgery. Go, all this going on. The police did nothing. But when four peaceful protesters were sitting on the rock and sitting on the pontoon, they sent 80 police officers, six police boats, a police dog, two drones and a helicopter to arrest these four peaceful protesters. One of them's an old lady and she's getting dragged and carried off screaming. And when the senior officer was asked, why is she screaming, do you think? He said, oh, because she likes to scream. Right, it's not because she's getting hurt. Yeah, I mean, no. I thought, no, I can't sit here and, and, and let this happen anymore. So I went down to help them. When I, when I was there, I just sat on the rock peacefully with my flag. And when I saw the boat coming over to hassle the young women, I went straight down there. I said, don't you hurt her? 
you know, they knew mm-hmm. I meant it and they didn't. Okay. Um, you know, the police officers, there's five police officers dragging a, a young woman because she's sitting on the footpath in the way of the construction workers as a peaceful way to try and hold up the works. They're dragging her. I said to them, you know, I stopped them. I said, stop, you're hurting her. And I got them off. Stop, helped her up. Um, I said, do you think that was appropriate? You know, uh-huh. are you trained at lifting people like this? Do you want me to teach you some ambulance lifting techniques? <laughs> he says, oh, uh, we weren't lifting her, we're dragging her. I said, exactly. Do you think that there was no better way of doing it? You know, come on, mate. Yeah. Yet, yet these guys are, are getting away with full-on assaults. Grown men, you know, kicking in the head. Yeah. And they're calling, you know, media, some of the media are calling uh, the peaceful protectors thugs, you know. So, yeah, uh, things are, have gone the wrong way around. There's a, there's a couple of petitions. You know, the other thing, too, is that Iwi weren't, consulted properly the people of the land weren't properly consulted to gain this resource consent to build this giant marina mm-hmm. and it's not just penguins that live there there are many species that are very special and the Horaki gulf is already in trouble you know we don't need more pollutants mm-hmm. so they're breaching the resource consent they're breaching the wildlife act and they're breaching to tiriti or waitangi which is the founding document between government, between, you know, Māori, the tangata whenua of the land and, you know, government, basically. Mm -hmm. And there needs to be a partnership there. That's about partnership. Yeah. Um, Never mind Hepakaputanga, which was the agreement before that, but we won't get into that one. Yeah. So, yeah, we did a protest outside the Auckland Council and um, I went and talked to Doc, the Department of Conservation. Nobody's doing anything. It's all government. And so what I've discovered with my small team of researchers is actually this marina is bigger than all of that. It's about child trafficking. And the government is involved. Jacinda Ardern knows about this child trafficking. The government is involved. They are digging tunnels right now under Queen Street. They're saying it's to do with the um, underground railway. Part of it could be. But it's very odd that it's linking up with these tunnels that already exist under Silo Park where they've been loading kids onto ships for years. You know, it's so sick. Yeah. It's really sick. I mean, 800 thousand kids a year go missing in Africa alone. This is a global problem. Child trafficking is the most lucrative business in the world. You know, just with our four girls, every time they remove a child from someone's care, they get $100,000 funding. Every time they place that child somewhere, they get another $100,000 funding. So, of course, they want to move kids around the place that don't need it. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, you know, I'm very emotional, but I want to make it clear I'm not angry either. 
Yeah. And I can tell, like, I, I don't sense any anger, but I do sense that you are passionate about this work. And Absolutely. I, I understand why, because it's so sickening and it needs to change. So I really have, appreciate um, your passion. Oh, thanks. Um, well, you know, um, the way I see it, every child is all of our responsibility. Mm -hmm. You know, if you see a, a child getting hurt, do something about it. Or yeah. you're, you're not a man, you're not a woman, you're not a real person. If you, if you don't, you just turn a blind eye to it. So I have to do everything I can. Yeah. Or, you know, what does my existence mean if I don't? <laughs> there was um, uh, some very, very special people, um, a friend of mine, Carlene, and, and others, that busted some child sex rinks and trafficking rinks in mm -hmm. Northland in the area where we live. And, you know, a lot of people think, oh, it doesn't happen here. It does. You know, that's what people need to know. People need to know that this is happening in your backyard mm -hmm. and what to look out for. You know? Just the other day, um, the principal of a local school put a post out on social media to call for parental awareness because a teenage girl had um, been tried to, someone had tried to abduct her into a van. Um, another school, a couple of days before that, had someone was being followed. I think a student was being followed or something like that. And so there was a call for awareness there as well. Mm -hmm. The problem is people hear this. And they say, oh, it's so sad. And then they go back to eating their dinner. You know, we, we need people to stand up and be interested. Do some research, find out and bring awareness, share it around, say, hey, look, this is what's going on. And the governments are involved, multinational government involvement. Yeah. So um, sometimes I can imagine that a big global problem, a big global issue like trafficking, human trafficking and sex trafficking can be overwhelming to individuals. Uh, how can I solve this, this global problem? I'm just me. So what are some baby steps that individuals can take? Well, um, there are groups all over the world that are trying to stop this. You don't have to join up and risk your life uh, hiding out in those tunnels to try and bust these people. But be aware of it, you know, be aware that it's happening. Mm -hmm. Find out, do some research and ask these people that are in the front line trying to stop this. Ask them for the proper information, you know. Be aware that the governments are not your friend. Mm -hmm. Make your own decisions, you know, make good decisions for your kids. The schooling, I mean, it's just gone downhill and downhill over the, this isn't just in New Zealand, you know, over the last couple of decades, it's gone so far downhill. And parents are unaware of what their kids are being taught. You know, they've got a whole class now uh, in the local college here, the local high school here, where 13-year-olds are being taught, the class is called sexuality class 
mm-hmm. and they're teaching all about you know the different genders and stuff. I mean, they they're going to learn that as they grow up anyway. They don't need a class to be teaching it. And when you look at the technical drawing stuff, it's called um, drawing design or something now. They've changed the name so that they don't have to do their job, basically. You know, they don't know what a protractor is. They don't know how, haven't been shown how to use a compass. They're not even using a ruler to draw lines. So we're going to have a serious lack of architects, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a balance, isn't it? It's a balance. Be aware and know your rights. Talk to the school in writing, get everything in writing with all government departments because they lie. You know, it's so so crucial. You know, my baby is dead, and that's how important it is. Mm-hmm. What gives you hope for the future? Well, I see a lot of people have given up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, like, for example, with this protest, uh, Putiki Bay, you can you can look it up um, the Protect Putiki page P R O T E C T P U T I K I Protect Putiki. You know, there's some beautiful people, and the way they're responding to aggression is waata singing. You know, just showing that love. Mm-hmm. Uh, the protest outside the Auckland Council. Beautiful. Um, you know, these uh, security guards all, all grumpy and upset and angry and and controlling and trying to dominate everyone. They just melted, eh, when we all started singing. They melted. There's nothing they can do, you know. Um, the shame on the police officer's face because they knew that was just so ridiculous what they're doing, you know. Mm-hmm. At the same time, they sent all those cops over there. There's a guy running around Auckland City, uh, um, carjacking cars at gunpoint, shooting at the police, and they've got three cops after him. So they've seriously got their priority wrong, you know. Mm-hmm. If you look up that Protect Putiki, there's some petitions you can sign. That would be a great help. Okay. Wonderful. Yeah. So, you know, there's some beautiful people out there. Beautiful people. That gives me hope. Awesome. So we're almost out of time. Is there anything else you would like to share with us? Well, I'd like to thank you for inviting me on. And, you know, I really love that um, you introduced at the beginning for all of our babies. And and that's important to me. You know, uh, Titaha, he's to me a representation of all the babies that have gone, mm-hmm. you know, and they've all got a different story and they all should be heard. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, thanks heaps for that. It's really important. You're welcome. Um, tonight I'll light a candle for everyone's babies. That would be amazing. Thank you so much, Sam, for sharing your story and for sharing, uh, for helping us realize that there are a lot of sick things happening. And also for sharing your hope of how we can heal those wounds and heal the hurts that we face globally and shining the light on the goodness 
that you do see on the beautiful people. Well, you know, if you see something that you think is is right, if you agree with the co-papa, if you think, um, hey, that's a good thing you're doing, get involved. Say, hey, how can I help with that? You know, mm-hmm. um, this one fano at a time. This is all about helping one family at a time. You know, this is one person that started it up. His name is Papa Hone, and he started up one fano at a time. Him and his partner. And so that's what he does. He goes around and he helps one whānau at a time. Hey, what do you need? Oh, let's get some furniture that they're throwing away in the big city and we'll give that to, to you. Uh, here's some clothes for your kids to keep warm over winter. Here's some kai, some food, you know. If you see a kaupapa that you agree with, jump on board. This um, doctor at baby's doc- favourite doctor, you know, is mm-hmm. doing this research. Brilliant. Just sent her an email saying, "Hey, I, I, I like your co-op. Can I can I join up and share my story as part of your your um, research program? You know, do what you can. You can't do everything. Just do what you can. Giving is all such a such a rewarding feeling. Wonderful. Thank you, Sam. Is there some place that you would like me to send our listeners to? engage with you um so well on facebook my name is roy rogers okay the singing cowboy (laughs) awesome Uh, roy rogers yeah on facebook so you're welcome to connect with me through there yeah there's a video pinned at the top of me telling my story at the at the um save our children rally yeah yeah my support group is is for all traumatized parents as well Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, Sam. Thank you. It's been another amazing conversation here on Share Your Story, exploring humanity one heart at a time. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in and receiving these stories. If you appreciated this episode, remember to subscribe to the show so you don't miss out on special subscription-only content. If you are struggling with grief and would like to make it more manageable, schedule a call through my website, grievingcoach.com, and I will give you one tool that you can implement today. Until next time, remember that all of our experiences make us who we are and that we can turn grief into growth. You are known and loved in more ways than you could ever imagine. Your voice matters, so share your story.